0: All right, well, good morning, and welcome once again to all who are here, and a big thank you to Dave and Merlin and Nancy for uh, leading us in worship in that way. Yeah, for sure. Clap. You guys never clap after I preach, but you clap after they, <laughs> after they sing their songs, huh? <laughs> I'm very thankful for them, uh, very thankful again for all who are here this morning, It's a great joy to be gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be reminded of those rich uh, doctrinal truths that the Lord never forsakes us. He's given us a firm foundation in his word. Uh, Amazing, amazing truth. A few announcements to be aware of as a church family. Uh, things that we are doing as a church family, ways to be involved and to be uh, working together uh, for the glory of God's name. And the first one is today, immediately following the service, is our quarterly members meeting. Uh, So members do please plan on staying for that. Uh, We have a number of important things to talk about. Uh, There'll be a financial update. Uh, There'll be an update on the kitchen. There will also be an update on our ministry action plan. Remember our three-year ministry action plan. We want to keep that before you and ways that we're moving forward with that. We also have an exciting thing to vote on. Uh, as a church, we want to really be on our A-game when it comes to live stream and audio and our online presence. And so we have a, a, uh, an item for that to think about today. Uh, so please, members, keep that in mind. Immediately following the service will be uh, that quarterly members' meeting. Uh, second announcement is to be keeping in your mind that date of August 2nd. Remember, that's a change. We were talking later in the month, but we bumped up to August 2nd uh, when we're doing the Loving Your Community brainstorming session. All of our growth groups are going through this book, uh, Loving Your Community by Pastor Steve Byers. And I, and I just want to say I'm loving all the conversations I've been having with so many of you about the ways how the Lord is using this just to encourage and challenge, in a lot of ways, convict, Right. It's, it's a very convicting book, uh, and, but I think ties in well with our mission as a church to, to be uh, saturating all of Berry County and Allegan County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So August 2nd, what, what I don't want to happen is that we read this book and just it goes on the shelf and we're like, well, that was nice. I want to lead the change to action, to growth. And so August 2nd, immediately following the service, uh, we're having a brainstorming session and we've invited a number of local community leaders to come and share with us what they perceive to be the greatest needs uh, that are in this community. And we want to strategize and think and pray as a church uh, how can we be meeting these needs with the love of Christ and with the gospel of Christ. So I'm excited about that Sunday. Hope you guys are too. Please mark that on your calendars. Plan on just an extended day on August 2nd. Uh, And then uh, the only other thing to mention is that august 2nd date remember we're trying to slowly reface things back in uh, on the august 2nd date we'll also be resuming children's church uh, and nursery uh, so please plan accordingly that way also uh, this time we're going to go to the lord in prayer i just want to mention one thing before i pray i i, I heard last night uh, at my my brother's church uh, over in pennsylvania Uh, that their pastor yesterday apparently died in a motorcycle accident. Uh, So I do want to lift that church up in prayer this morning. Uh, And I knew there was something else I was announcing. That's why I was kind of stuttering a little bit. My mind is trying to tell me there's something else to announce, and it's this. Uh, Just thinking about the suddenness of life and death, right? Uh, and we have many unsaved loved ones who need the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to be mindful of, of that. And We want to be obeying the Lord's commission to, to be making disciples, right? And so out there in the foyer will be this bowl. And what I'm asking you to do, and there's a few who have done this already, but there's a piece of paper back there and it's the place to put your name on there and the name of a loved one, an unsaved loved one or coworker or neighbor. Put that name in there. And on Wednesday nights, the prayer team on Wednesday nights, praying through those names and also your servant leaders will be praying through those names. We're just asking the Lord to, to draw sinners to himself and also asking the Lord to help you uh, to be going out and making disciples to be boldly proclaiming the gospel to them. So let's let's go go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is such a joy uh, to to know that through good and bad, through valleys, uh, through pleasant places, uh, that you are with us. And that we are able to say, no matter the circumstance, because of who you are, that it is well with my soul. To be able to say through the deepest agony, the deepest pain, and also the highest heights of joy, that you are with me, you are my God, you are my helper, you will not leave me, you will not forsake me, it is well with my soul. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who when these things happen, it's not because you fell asleep at the wheel, it's not because you're retired, it's not because you don't love, it's not because you're not caring, but that Lord, uh, you're on the throne, you have a plan, you have a purpose to work all things according to, to the glory of your name and the good of your people that you've, you've determined in such a way that those things are inextricably bound together. Uh, and through things like that, you grow us to be more like you and, and to depend more on you and to let go of things in this world and to cleave to you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a jealous God and that you will stop at nothing uh, to ensure that we are first in your heart and your life. And Lord, again, often this is painful. But Lord, even through the pain, even through the tears, help each one of us here to be able to say, it is well with my soul. I love you, Lord. You are my God. You are my helper. You are with me. It is enough. And Lord, if there be any in our midst this morning today who are just going through that deep agony, that heartache, the sorrow, uh, trial, a difficult situation, I just pray you be gracious to them, that you would draw near to them, Uh, That you'd help us as a church body to weep with them as as they weep uh, and just to comfort and be gracious to one another to be mindful of one another uh, to to consider the interests of others as more important than ourselves and lord if there be those in our midst who are rejoicing with hearts full of joy and what you're doing lord again help us as a church body to rejoice with those who rejoice help us to know each other to love each other and again to be mindful of each other and father we uh, just lift up to your throne of grace this uh, my brother's church over in Pennsylvania. I'm sure this morning, uh, it's like a hurricane. not, not really sure uh, what to do, having lost the pastor just, just the day before. Lord, I, I pray that through this, you would guide the church, shepherd the church, care for the church, help help the other leaders there uh, to lead well through this, help the church to grow through this, uh, and, and that you would just comfort them with, with the comfort that only you can provide. And Lord, as we think of our own church family, uh, we think of just the joy of, of the wedding yesterday with Jacob and Savannah, uh, setting forth now as one flesh. I uh, just pray that you would richly bless that marriage, uh, help Jacob to be a godly man who, who leads, leads his wife as a, as a godly husband, who loves his wife as Christ has loved the church, and help Savannah to follow his leadership, to submit unto his leadership, and, and to be a godly helpmate that they both together will be a great team together, bringing much glory to your name and, and for, for your kingdom and your namesake. And Lord, we think also of some of the new families in our church, or, or I should say growing families. Uh, we thank you for uh, Eric and Morgan, just the joy of uh, their little Will, who's now one month old. We thank you for uh, keeping Morgan and Eric safe uh, and strong and healthy, and also Will. We pray that Will would just grow to love you. Uh, help Eric and Morgan as this time, uh, as they uh, learn to be parents, just give them the grace, the patience, the wisdom that they need. And I would pray the same for uh, Nick and Elizabeth with their little one, a few months older than that, Lord, but just the joy of being parents. Also, just through the sleepless nights, uh, help them uh, as mom and dad to be a team, not to be uh, going at it with each other, but Lord, uh, just just to be patient with each other and, and just that joy of raising their children in the things of the Lord. Uh, and help each one of us here who are moms and dads and grandmas and grandparents to, to do the same. You've given us children uh, to raise, uh, to, to teach them the things of the Lord, to teach them the scriptures, to obey you, to follow you. Help us to do that as moms and dads and grandmas and gra- Help us to, to model that in the way we live and think and act. May they see Christ in us not just on Sundays, uh, but 24-7. And Lord, we also pray for the country in which we live uh, there's so much that concerns us and breaks our hearts. but Lord, we, we pray for those whom you have ordained and established to be an authority over us, just locally and, and also on Capitol Hill, that they would do what's right in your sight. Uh, we think also the world in which we live. We're so thankful for the missionaries that we're able to support all around the world. And, and this morning, we just lift up to you uh, the Van Briggens with the Word of Life ministry. Uh, again, just I'm sure with COVID and everything else going on, they're just having to uh, re-strategize everything, rethink everything, Lord, and that's not always a bad thing. It's just an opportunity to to think about how they can be most effective in getting the gospel out to to children and teens. So I just pray for the Van Burgens, Give them wisdom that they need. Protect their marriage as they travel much uh, and as as they uh, just seek the labor for you. And Lord, we just pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. So if you would, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. And Luke is, of course, one of the what's called the, the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, then there's the fourth Gospel of John, but Luke is part of those synoptic Gospels. Synoptic just means to see together, and so they're, they're very parallel with each other. And starting today, we're going to be jumping into the book of Luke, and we're going to, we're going to be there for a long time, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it, excited about it. So if, as you're finding your way to Luke, maybe you're already there, uh, but just just to get thinking about Luke this morning, if I was to ask you uh, who you think made uh, the most significant contribution to the New Testament, I'm willing to bet that most of us would want to say Paul, Uh Or if I even asked it this way, who made the most significant contribution to the the New Testament in terms of the total number of verses? And again, we might be tempted to say, Paul. Or if I asked you this, who was the only non-Jewish author of any book in the New Testament? Or who of all the Gospel writers never met Jesus while he was alive? And the answer, to every one of those questions, would be Luke. The, the two volume, because Luke wrote Luke and Acts, right? So those two volumes together are is the largest contribution by any single author, making up a quarter of the New Testament, more than Paul himself, <laughs> Also, Luke was the only non-Jewish author of any New Testament book, and Luke, as far as we can tell, he never met Jesus while Jesus was alive. He, he learned everything through eyewitness interviews and meticulous research. Most likely, the research that Luke did was funded by the patron Theophilus. You can find him in verse uh, 3, where he talks about the most excellent Theophilus. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a few minutes, but, but most likely he, Theophilus was a wealthy patron who paid for Luke uh, to research these things. He gave the funding to write Luke and Acts, and so Luke dedicates this two-volume work to Theophilus. So, so this morning, again, we're digging in to the longest book in the New Testament, the book of Luke. And again, I'm excited about that. Uh, I foresee us being here for probably a, a couple years, maybe maybe more, maybe less, but, but most likely a couple years. We'll take breaks from it here and there as the Spirit leads. For example, in October, uh, we're having a Missions Emphasis Month, so probably in October we'll be in some different, different passages. Uh, but for the most part, we're going to be in Luke, so I would just encourage you to, to take your bookmark and stick it in Luke, Luke and in your daily devotions. As you, and as you have opportunity, just be reading through Luke, uh, get get a good understanding of Luke, uh, and come to appreciate Luke. Just just marinate in it for a long time. Uh, I chose to speak through or to preach through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, because of its emphasis on the gospel message. Of course, I could have chose Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, but Luke, I think, brings out some things that I really think are important for us as a church family. Uh, It is one of my great prayers, deep prayers, uh, for Orangeville Baptist Church uh, that we as a congregation would be increasingly, over time, uh, more and more and more, gospel-centered, gospel-saturated, and gospel-driven. What I mean by that is a congregation that is saturated with the knowledge of the truth of the gospel and so saturated with the knowledge of that truth that we're compelled by it, we're motivated by it to live and serve the gospel. That we would be, as Paul himself speaks of his own life, living epistles, uh, that wherever we go however we speak the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would would be magnified and would be obvious to others it's, it's it's my heartfelt desire for us to be so in love with the gospel and so preoccupied with the gospel that we are sharing the gospel with others and living the gospel out and what better way to learn how to be gospel-saturated, gospel-driven, gospel-preoccupied, than to study one of the gospels, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? If, if, if we're going to do that, if we're going to be that, then we, we should dig deep into one of these gospels. And so my hope, my prayer, my desire over the, the course of our time together unpacking this book is that we would be increasingly gospel-minded, gospel-saturated, gospel-centered. And by the way, that fits our discipleship pathway, Right? Believe, belong, become, build. If, if you think of that pathway, think of the gospel as the fuel that empowers us to be able to, to go down that pathway, to accomplish that pathway. And of course, the aim of that pathway is that we saturate all of Barry and Allegan County with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how can we do that? How can we saturate Barry and Allegan County with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we individually are not gospel-centered? And how can we do that if we as a church are not gospel-saturated? And so the aim in in preaching through this is again that individually and corporately we are gospel-saturated, gospel-driven and that it just overflows from here everywhere the Lord takes us. Wherever, whenever, whoever the gospel of Christ is on our lips and we're sharing it with others. So I'm excited about that study. I I, I hope you're kind of getting excited about it as as I introduce it this way. There's a lot that I want to say about Luke. Again, it's 24 chapters. It's the largest book in the New Testament. We could spend a long time Uh, Just getting into some of the details. But this morning, just to kind of whet your appetite, uh, I'm going to share three major things about Luke. I'm going to talk about the author. I'm going to talk about the book itself. Then I'm going to talk about some of the theological emphases that are are in it. So the author, uh, the book itself, and then the message. So let's talk about Luke for a second. Point number one, the author. Uh, it might surprise you to know we actually know very little about this man. Again, he wrote one of the or the largest book in the New Testament, and he's one of the least familiar New Testament authors to us. He never actually even refers to himself to the whole Gospel of Luke, and in the Book of Acts. He only ever ever refers to himself as we or us, and he only does that two or three times. But there are a few things that we can piece together about him. The first one is this. We know that he was a travel companion of Paul. He was a travel companion of Paul. In Acts chapter 16, verse 10, uh, it would seem to indicate that in Acts 16, verse 10, uh, that Paul linked up with Luke at Troas and remember Paul is going through Troas on his second missionary journey and this is also at Troas where Paul has what's become known as the Macedonian vision or the Macedonian call uh, so at Troas a significant thing happens uh, he has that vision from the man from Macedonia beckoning Paul to come to Europe and, and Paul also links up with Luke from there Luke becomes Paul's dependable co worker. He's with Paul in Philippi. He's with Paul in Jerusalem. He's with Paul during the two year imprisonment in Caesarea. He's also with Paul on the hazardous voyage, the ship voyage uh, through, through to, on the way to Rome. So he's with him there, and he's also with him in Rome. So Paul and Luke are traveling companions. Luke is also a widely esteemed doctor. In fact, if anyone knows anything about Luke, they seem to know that. Well, he's a doctor, right? Uh, Colossians 4.14 says, uh, Paul refers to Luke as, quote, Luke, the beloved physician. That's quite the phrase, isn't it? Luke, the beloved physician. What what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, beloved physician? As, As I thought about that, what came to my mind was a lover of people. If he's a beloved physician, he must love people. And he must have a desire to, to serve others. And I want you just for a moment to think about the life of Paul. Think about how often that man was beaten. And, and all the, the sufferings, the physical sufferings, that that man endured. I mean, it, it's this huge litany, right? That if, for most of us, if we went through one of those things, it would be more than enough Thank you, Lord, that's enough. I don't need any more of that. Uh, But Paul has this huge list of, of things that he suffered, things that he endured for Jesus. His wounds were frequent, and his wounds were severe. In fact, on a couple of occasions at least, he's beaten to within an inch of his life, right? And so think about the fact that there's no antibiotics in that day. There's no Neosporin or any other medicinal benefits that we have today. No doubt, if you think about Paul and those severe beatings that he took, he would spend several days drifting in and out of consciousness as he's recovering from such severe beatings. Where is Luke that whole time? He's right there with him, isn't he? And so Paul calls Luke the beloved physician. Luke is there through all of it. Luke is there caring for him and mending him uh, and restoring him physically. No doubt praying for him. Luke is a beloved physician. And I think Luke has also been a great motivator for a lot of medical missionaries. Maybe there's even some of our myths who are interested in the the medical field. And Luke would be a challenge and encouragement to you that wherever you are in the medical field, whether locally or you think about going globally with that, you can do so as a great missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. Making disciples uh, as a physician, as a doctor, as a nurse, or whatever that might be. So he's a widely esteemed doctor. He's also very loyal to Paul. We see that from what we just saw about being a beloved physician, but, but think about Second Timothy chapter four, verses nine through eleven. In second Timothy chapter four, verses nine through eleven we read. Paul writes, Do your best to come to me soon. He's saying that to Timothy. He says, For Demas. What a name, right? Demas. Uh, I've never met anyone named Demas. <laughs> uh, but Demas, Paul says about him, that he has Demas is in love with this present world, and has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We might not know very many people or anyone named Demas, but I think we've encountered a lot of people like Demas, huh? Who fall in love with the world. So Demas deserts Paul, Then he says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. But then notice how it ends. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Luke alone is with me. Now, so far as we know, Paul was martyred shortly after this by by Nero. Uh, Church tradition says that Luke was imprisoned in Rome with Paul uh, just weeks before Nero had him killed for following Jesus. In fact, a number of people think Paul was probably beheaded by Nero. So if you picture this, some have abandoned Paul like Demas. Other co-laborers have been needed to go and, and, and build the kingdom, build, be preaching the gospel all around the world. Uh, Demas has been pulled away by the world, but Luke is with Paul. Luke never leaves Paul. He's right there with him. Luke is devoted. He's a devoted friend, a devoted co-worker. Luke is also a scholar He's a scholar. He's a man of great learning. Uh, Luke's Gospel is the most literary of the four Gospels. Uh, We're we're also told that he writes the best literary Greek of the entire New Testament, even better than Paul. So Luke is a scholar. He's a poet with the words. Some people call him a painter of words. In his Gospel, Luke uses more medical terms than a well-known person named Hippocrates. Remember Hippocrates? He's the father not of hypocrisy. He's the father of what? Do you remember? Medicine, right? So Luke uses more medical terms than Hippocrates, the father of medicine, and above all, Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it is the gospel which he shares. Not only is Luke a scholar, he's a historian. Um, many, again, think of Luke as a doctor, but one of his main contributions to Christianity was a great historian. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. In these verses we read this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, Watch verse 3, Luke 1, verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So, what do we learn about Luke there? He's a historian, right? He's 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 done extensive research. He's interviewed eyewitnesses. He he's carefully investigated everything. He's spent time tracking down details. He's ended up writing a two volume work about all of this so that Theophilus and others might, again, as verse four says, have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Do you as a Christian ever wonder, do you ever doubt about the certainty of the things you've been taught? That's one of the reasons why Luke has been written. So you can see the historical veracity of it, the truthfulness of it. And you might be wondering, who in the world is this Theophilus? And it's a good question. We really don't know. Uh, many have, have come up with the speculation that because his name means lover of God or friend of God, uh, some have come to the conclusion that this is not an individual person, uh, but this is actually a symbol for all Christians everywhere who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, my personal opinion is that seems very unlikely. He's given the title Most Excellent Theophilus. We actually encounter that in two other places, in Acts. Festus is called that, and so is Felix. Felix. And the understanding there would appear to be that Theophilus was some kind of Roman official, someone of great social standing who had come to faith in Christ and was in need of firm grounding in the faith. And again, he's probably wealthy, and he funds Luke uh, to do the research that Luke does. But most importantly, out of all that we've said, what we need to understand is, as as we're trying to get to know Luke, is that he was a theologian. Luke was a theologian. The point of his historical research, uh, the point of the two volumes that he writes, is not just to fill in the blanks and give us some, some historical peculiarities. That's not why he writes what he writes. He, he writes to give us a portrait of, of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Luke is a theologian. He's not just giving us information, but he wants us to know who Jesus is and to grow in our relationship with him and to have certainty, to be convinced, assured of the things that we have been taught. So the Gospel of Luke is not just good history, it's good theology. It's good theology about the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what God has done in Christ to, to save sinners to reconcile sinners, and to, to begin to build his church, as we see through, the, through the, the book of Acts. And in a few moments, we're going to highlight some of those themes about Acts. So that's, that's Luke. That's who Luke is. Pretty interesting guy. Uh, and I hope one thing we can take away from that is just this concept of no matter who you are, no matter what your gifts or your talents or your weaknesses are, the Lord can use you. The Lord wants to use you. Maybe you're a historian. Maybe you're a medical person. Maybe, maybe you're just a good friend to somebody. Uh, the that, that list goes on. But we see through Luke, the key thing is just, are you, being willing, to be, are you willing to be used by God? Are you willing to be a vessel uh, of, of in, in his hands to, to spread mercy in the gospel to whoever you can, whenever you can, wherever you can? That's Luke. Now, How about the book? Uh, Just a real quick overview of of the book. Uh, The Gospel of Luke can be broken down into four parts. The first part is Luke chapter 1 and 2. And I've given this the title, The Births of John and Jesus. So Luke chapter 1 through 2, The Births of John and Jesus. Interestingly, this part, chapters 1 and 2, covers approximately 30 years of time. 30 years of time. So it takes us maybe, at the most, 30 minutes to read chapters 1 and 2. And in those 30 minutes, you've covered 30 years of the life of John the Baptist and Jesus himself. Uh, Both John and Jesus, we learn from Luke 1 and 2, have miraculous birth, uh, followed by a message from an angel. Both birth accounts are full of praising of God. Uh, Both John and Jesus are filled with the Spirit. Uh, But there is one big difference between John and Jesus. John is the messenger who prepares the way for Jesus. And Jesus is that promised Messiah uh, through whom the promises of God will be fulfilled and salvation offered for all. After that is Luke chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 13. The second major part of Luke is Luke chapter 3 through verse 4, chapter 4, verse 13. And I've titled this Preparation for Ministry. Preparation for Ministry. Uh, This section jumps forward to suddenly John and Jesus are adults. So if if you look real quick with me at Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 1 is very long. And Luke chapter 2, and you read verse 52, where it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Best as we can tell, if you jump back to verse fifty one, at that point Jesus is probably something like twelve years old. And so from John or from Luke two, verse fifty two to Luke three verse one, there's an eighteen year jump. Sometimes it's easy to forget that when we, when we read through scripture. It takes us a second to read that but we just move forward 18 years in time to, to Luke chapter 3 verse 1 where it says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip Tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. That's John the Baptist. John the son of Zechariah. In the wilderness. And here's what he does. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 4 would help us understand he did this in fulfillment of the Word of God. So you see, this section jumps way forward. Suddenly, John and Jesus are young adults. Uh, and John is proclaiming uh, baptism. He's proclaiming repentance. And as, as such, he's pointing the way for Jesus Christ. Shortly after, in John chapter 3 and 4, he's going to baptize Jesus, uh, preparing Jesus for ministry. And as soon as Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And near the end of this section, in, in Luke chapter 4, uh, is this very interesting genealogy of Jesus. Jesus that traces his, his genealogy, his roots, through Joseph, back to Adam, and then to God. That's all preparation for Jesus' ministry. And so then, Luke chapter 4, verse 14, through chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus begins to minister in Galilee. So you can see how it's building, right? Jesus' birth, Jesus' preparation, now he begins to minister in Galilee. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 14. He's just been tempted. He's been uh, successfully repulsed the devil through, through Scripture. So Luke chapter 4, verse 14 says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So this is the Galilean section of Luke. So from Luke four fourteen through chapter 9, verse 50, it's all about Jesus ministering in Galilee. And this section highlights the power and authority of Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus calls his disciples. This is where Jesus performs many, many miracles. This is where we have the Sermon on the Mount and the Transfiguration. And this section ends in chapter 9 with Jesus speaking about his death and the disciples starting to argue about who's the greatest. That's how this section ends. And then the longest section in Luke, the third section, goes from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, all the way through chapter 19, verse 27. So there's this huge chunk of Luke that's focused on this journey to Jerusalem. And so he's ministered in Galilee, and now Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Again, he's just told his disciples that he's, he's, he's go- going to die. His disciples get in an argument about who's greater. <laughs> uh, and then Jesus uh, jer- begins the journey to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. And notice verse 53 again. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And you can make your way through this section, Luke 9, 51 through 1927. You're going to encounter that over and over and over. It's going to say something like, but Jesus' face was set to Jerusalem. He was set to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knows the time of his departure has come, This is the climactic journey on uh, on which he's he's journeying towards his crucifixion and resurrection. This is a fascinating section. We'll spend a lot of time here as a church family because if you compare this to Matthew and Mark and John, about 40% of what we find in Luke 9 through 19 is unique to Luke. We don't find it anywhere else in any of the Gospels. Luke and Luke alone records this. This is a fascinating section. Uh, there's particular focus here on his parables and his teaching. There's a great increase in opposition to Jesus' ministry. There's also a very strong emphasis on discipleship uh, in this section. And then, lastly, the fourth section uh, for Luke is Luke 19, verse 28 through 24 to the end of chapter 24 and at this point jesus is in jerusalem so the journey has been finished he makes it to jerusalem and here in jerusalem of course he will die for our sins he'll be risen from the dead and he will ascend now remember i told you john or i'm sorry luke 1 and 2 covers about 30 years of his life well we see a huge slowdown We get to these chapters in Luke 19 through 24 because here it's basically covering one week of his life, one week, and actually chapters 22 and 23 is roughly two days. So John slows it way down. That's significant, isn't it? Why is he doing that? What's Luke all about in verses 19 and chapters 19 through 24? The crucifixion and the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. This is the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. And John, or Luke, I keep saying John. Luke wants us to see that. And so he slows it way down. It's very, very important that, that we catch that. So here Jesus arrives on a donkey, followed by Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He teaches a lot on the future in this, in this section. Uh, the plot to kill Jesus is unveiled. Uh, Jesus prays in Gethsemane, He's arrested, he's crucified, he's resurrected, he ascends, and then it ends with him sending his disciples out into the whole world to go and preach the gospel to the whole world. That's, that's the book of Luke. Now what? What's, what's some more specific details? And with that point, number three is the theology. We've considered the man, the author, we've considered the book. Now, I just want to wrap it up by talking about the theology of Luke and just a few things that Luke emphasizes. I, I could say a whole lot more, but just a few things here. Number one, the theology. There's an emphasis on prayer. I was blown away by this this week as I, as, as I dug into this text. There's, there's a huge emphasis on prayer. Every synoptic gospel, Matthew, Mark and Luke, records the fact that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane uh, just hours before his crucifixion, uh, but only Luke emphasizes prayer uh, the way that he does. very, very different from how Matthew and Mark talk about prayer. Matthew and Mark I'm sorry, Matthew mentions Jesus praying once. Mark mentions that Jesus prayed twice. Now watch what Luke does. And get ready to move, move quick through, through Luke. You might get a few paper cuts as, as we do this, but I, but I hope you uh, look, look through it quickly with me. L- look at Luke three verse 21. Luke three verse 21. Now I could just read these really quick for you, but I want you to see and get a sense for this huge emphasis on prayer. Luke 3:21 says, "Now, when all the people were baptized." And when Jesus also had been baptized and was what? What's he doing? He's praying. praying. I'd never noticed that before until this week as I was reading through this. He's he's being baptized and he's praying. And it says, The heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, after this, Jesus grows in fame and renown. He's getting more and more popular and there's larger crowds following him. And so turn to Luke 5.16. Luke 5.16. In fact, we'll pick it up in verse 15. It says, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities. But what's Jesus do? Verse 16, He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And the way that's worded is that he did that a lot. That wasn't just a one-time occurrence. The night before he chooses the twelve disciples, what does he do? He prays. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says luke 6 12 in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to god and then verse 13 when he comes down he calls his disciples so he's he's praying Uh, luke 9 18 turn to luke 9 18 this is where peter confesses jesus as the christ in luke 9 18 it says now it happened that as he was praying alone The disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? So there he is praying. Now, Now move forward to the transfiguration. Luke 9, verse 28. In Luke 9, verse 28, it says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to do what? To pray. So that at, he's on his way there to pray, uh, and then the actual transformation occurs. Jump down to, well, just verse 29. It says, And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were walking with him, Moses and Elijah. So there's a the transfiguration, and it's saturated with prayer. Now, just before Jesus gives us what we now call the Lord's Prayer, guess what he was doing then also? If you turn to Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 1. My pages are sticking together. Luke, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now Jesus was, surprise, surprise, praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. In Luke 22:32, if you move forward, just just a number of chapters there, Luke 22:32, uh, Peter, uh, Satan has wanted to destroy Peter, to sift him, to, to take him out, but Jesus says in Luke chapter 22 uh, verse 32 i'll start in verse 31 it says simon simon behold satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but i have prayed for you that your faith may not fail when you have turned again to strengthen your brothers and of course in that same chapter luke 22 verse 44 this is the prayer of gethsemane where it says being in agony he did what he prayed more earnestly. That's Luke twenty-two forty-four, And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And what's Jesus do while he's on the cross? He prays. Luke records two of those prayers. In Luke 23, verse 34, uh, we read this. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then just before he dies, just a few verses later, Luke 23, verse 46, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and having said this, he breathed his last. So Jesus himself prays and prays and prays. You're seeing that emphasis, right? But it's not just that way that prayer gets emphasized. Yes, Jesus prays a lot, but he also teaches a lot about praying. So in Luke 11, uh, he he shares the parable of of the guy who has a friend who asks him for three loaves of bread at midnight, uh, teaching us that we should pray with persistence. In Luke 18, he has two parables about prayer. One is about the unjust judge and the belligerent widow who won't give up. Uh, teaching us that we should be persistent in our prayer. And in Luke 18, 9-14, you have the Pharisee who's boasting about himself, and then you have the publican who won't even look up. All he can say is, have mercy on me, the sinner, teaching us about humility in prayer and mercy in prayer. And it's only in Luke 1, Luke chapter 21, verse 36, that this is recorded, where Jesus says, stay awake at all times, Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of God. So, so praying that you may have strength. And it's not just that. We also see other people praying in the, in the Gospel of Luke. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 10, we're told that while Zechariah is in the temple, that the whole multitude is outside the temple praying. We're also told that while Zechariah is in the temple, he's praying. Uh, it says in Luke 1:13, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard." Remember Anna. When when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, Anna is there. She's in the temple serving God, and we read in Luke chapter two, verse thirty-seven, that she is worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And then in Luke chapter eleven, verse one, like we read, the disciples asked Jesus, "Lord, teach us how to pray." It's no wonder that many refer to Luke as the Gospel of Prayer. Prayer is heavily emphasized, heavily emphasized. And if if we're going to be saturating Allegan and Berry County with the gospel? If we're going to be successful with this discipleship pathway, making disciples who make disciples, if we're going to be bringing glory to God, how's it going to happen? Through prayer. If we're trying to be on mission for Christ and we're not praying, that mission is a fail before we even start. We must pray. A second emphasis is the Holy Spirit's. The Holy Spirit is named and referenced more in the Gospel of Luke than Matthew and Mark combined. Luke puts a huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Again, if you can keep up with me, look to Luke chapter 1, verse 35. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, uh, we read this. Um, this is where the angel has come to, to Mary and explained to her that she'll give birth to the Messiah. And so the, she has that question: How can that possibly be? He says I'm a virgin. And so Luke one thirty-five, the angel answered her: The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. All four Gospels make mention of the fact that the Spirit descends upon Jesus at his baptism, but only Luke goes on to say in Luke chapter four verse one that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Then in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He, the Spirit of the Lord, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then just a little bit farther down, uh, in, in Luke, I'm sorry, in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 21, uh, we have this phrase that isn't recorded anywhere else in any, any of the other, other Gospels. Luke chapter 10, verse 21 says, in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I love that phrase. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. What a thought. That's very rich uh, with, with many, many things that should bring to our, our mind. The Holy Spirit is not just active though in the life of Jesus but through the whole narrative. So Luke 1:15 right at the very beginning when the angel announces the John, John, uh, about the birth of John, he says in Luke 1.15, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Next, Elizabeth in Luke 1.41, we're told, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? So was Zechariah. In in Luke 1.67, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. There's a whole lot of spirit filling uh, going on in Luke chapter 1. Then just a little bit later after that, in Luke chapter 2, Uh, Verses 25 and 27, we read these words from Simeon. Luke 2, verse 25 says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and so on. See the emphasis on the spirit there? Spirit, 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 spirit. Then in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, we are told Jesus says, after a parable about prayer, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift apart from Jesus Christ and salvation, that God gives us. He gives us himself. He gives us his son. He gives us his spirit to dwell within us, to empower us to live the life that we live. And when Jesus wraps up the whole, the whole gospel of Luke, uh, when he's sending out his disciples into the world, we read this in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. He says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There it is again, huh? The emphasis on the Spirit. How was the early church so successful? Because if you turn to Acts, and you see this phrase constantly, and people were added to the church daily. And the gospel grows, and the church grows. How does that happen? Because they go forth on their knees in prayer, dependent upon the Spirit. How are we as a church going to be gospel-saturated? How are we going to saturate this county with the gospel? On our knees in prayer, dependent on the power of the Spirit. Amen? There's more to emphasize. There's an emphasis on compassion for outcasts and, and, and the downtrodden. We see this right from the opening of the gospel. Think about Mary. The mother of jesus she's a nobody from nowheresville (laughs) Uh, she's she's downtrodden she's she's poor jesus is born into this poor family he's born in a manger right and then in luke chapter 2 verse 24 when when mary and, and joseph go to dedicate jesus they're only able to offer up two turtle doves that's that's the poor man's offering there's right from the beginning this emphasis on this care and this concern for the downtrodden, the poor, the outcasts. Uh, Mary, in her song uh, that she sings in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 52, she makes mention of this because she says about, Je- about God, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Then Luke 1, verse 52, uh, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. See that emphasis? He's exalted those of humble estate, And I read this earlier, but Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus says his ministry is for the downtrodden. He says again, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to who? The captives and recovering of sight to who? The blind. You see the downtrodden, the outcast. Then he says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. See that emphasis on the downtrodden, the outcasts? Uh, That's where Jesus will focus his ministry. We see it also in Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 12 through 14. Uh, the, The parable of the great banquets. And Jesus says, He said also to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brother or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Why? You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of Jesus. And all through Luke, we're going to see Jesus ministers to those with leprosy. You don't do that in that day and age. You don't hang out with lepers. Jesus is ministering to the outcast and the downtrodden. He he speaks of the widow of Zarephath and Naaman, both Gentiles. Jesus loves the poor. Jesus loves the downtrodden. He loves the social outcast. Jesus loves losers and addicts and prodigals. He does and he can change them. He can transform any situation. Th- think about this. Without Luke, there's no parable of the prodigal. There's, and there's no there's no par, parable of the of the, the Samaritan who's who's beaten uh, and who's ignored uh, and and only is cared for uh, by by the yeah by the individual the Samaritan who who looks out for him without without Luke we don't have that uh, so Luke focuses on sinners and outcasts and the poor and 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 women who by the way were often. Uh, disregarded in that day, Luke puts puts a huge emphasis on the ministry of women, and by doing this, Jesus shows himself that he is the tender savior of all. He cares for all. Very very quickly, there's an emphasis on singing and joy and praise. Uh, in Luke one and two, there's lots of singing going on. Uh, Jesus has his ministry in Luke six twenty one. He's come to replace mourning with laughter. Uh, repentance brings joy. Look with me, at Luke fifteen. Luke chapter 15, I want you to see this in Luke Luke chapter 15, this emphasis on joy and, and singing. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. This is the parable of the lost sheep. And Luke chapter 15, verse 7, uh, Jesus, well, we'll pick it up in verse 6. It says, When he comes home, He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. See that joy? Then verse 10, you have the parable of the lost coin, the woman who's, who's lost her silver coins, and she searches the house frantically. What's, what's going to happen when she finds it? Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, look at verse 23. The prodigal son returns. And in Luke chapter tw- 15, verse 23, uh, the father says, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. You see that emphasis on joy, the the joy that comes with forgiveness of sin, and, and maybe you're here this morning, and you're you're burdened with with sin in your heart and in your life, uh, and and it's 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 pulling you down. Great conviction. Of Psalms 32 and 51 talks about how it's like this, this great burden on your back and it saps your strength and you have no energy. That's, that's what sin does in your life. And we see in Luke chapter 15 that in Christ our sin is forgiven and with repentance there is great joy in heaven and in your own life. And so we have this emphasis on singing and joy. And in fact, the book ends with the disciples full of joy. Again, look at John or Luke chapter twenty-four, verse fifty. I have no idea why I keep wanting to say John, but I do. Luke chapter twenty-four, verse fifty. Jesus is about to ascend, and it says in Luke twenty-four, verse fifty, He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, which is another word for joy, happiness. Uh, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now catch verse 52. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were content, continually in the temple blessing God. This is exciting to think about as a church family. How are we going to saturate the community with the gospel of Christ? We do it on our knees in prayer, dependent upon the Holy Spirit, reaching out to all that we can, including the downtrodden, the outcasts, uh, the the, and and those individuals. And we do it with joy. We do it with joy because of who God is, and we do it with joy because the joy that it brings to God the Father to to bring others to saving knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you worshiping the Lord with joy? Do you find joy in knowing him? And of course, lastly, Luke and his emphasis of theology, he emphasizes salvation. Salvation. If Luke has one major theme, it has the theme of salvation. Luke uses the language of salvation more than any other gospel. The noun salvation is found seven times. You never find the noun for salvation in Matthew or Mark. We find it seven times in Luke. God and Jesus, we are told, are Savior. And the verb save is found 17 times in the Gospel of Luke. Also remember the structure of the book of Luke. The last week of Jesus' life when he is crucified and resurrected takes up a third of the gospel. And looking at Luke 15 again, just real quick, Luke 15, verse 1, we find the standard criticism of Jesus. Luke 15, verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, Man, that man welcomes sinners and he eats with sinners. Praise God he does that. Amen? Amen? Praise God that he welcomes sinners and he eats with sinners. And, 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 the, and the, the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling that he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. But that's that's a standard criticism against him. I praise God that he does that. He welcomes sinners. He, he welcomed me, a, a great sinner. And, and Luke chapter 19 verse 10 uh, kind of uh, summarizes all this where it says, The Son of Man came... To seek and to save what? The lost. This emphasis on salvation and salvation for all, the weak, the downtrodden, the rich, the poor, uh, the the guilty sinner. Luke is the gospel of salvation. Are you this morning certain of your salvation? Do you know the gospel? Notice again how how Luke begins the gospel uh, in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, your translation might say, fulfilled among us. Luke's gospel is not just this nice story of things that happened to Jesus and some nice things that he said, some nice things that he taught. You know, that, that's not what it is. The gospel of Luke is a bloody book. It's a bloody book about terrible things that happened to Jesus. Terrible things that happened to Jesus for a reason, a purpose, to accomplish something, to fulfill something. To fulfill what? The promises of the Old Testament. The promises of salvation. The promises about death and resurrection. The promises about forgiveness from sin for sinners like you and I. Jesus Christ died on the cross to fulfill Scripture and to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven, so that we might go out into the world and proclaim this message of forgiveness in the name of Christ and Christ alone and so that's why I'm excited about going through this gospel because it gets the emphasis on on exactly that being gospel centered gospel driven if we're going to make a difference that can't be ignored if we're going to be on mission it's going to happen by emphasizing what Luke emphasizes and I would just ask again this morning Jesus came to bring new life. He came to offer salvation. Do you know that salvation this morning? And today is the day to know it. If you have questions about how to know him, questions about how he forgives sin and why he forgives sins and what the cross is about, who Jesus is, we're so glad you're here and we we love to talk about those things and try and answer those questions from the scriptures. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, you know the gospel, who are you sharing it with? Who's on your heart? Who who are you praying for, right? We're not praying for that person anymore. Whoever that is, it just just <clears throat> just fell out. We are for sure. <clears throat> who are we praying for? Who are we, who are we seeking to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's wrap it up this way. Luke chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-two. We'll end with with this thought. Luke chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-two. Jesus at this point is resurrected. He appears to the two disciples who are on the way on on Emmaus Road. In Luke chapter 24, verse 32, Jesus has just vanished from them. And these disciples turn to each other and they say, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Here's how I want to say it. As we go through the Gospel of Luke, my prayer is that it will give us spiritual heartburn. How many of you have heartburn? (laughs) I was born with GERD. I've had heartburn my entire life. I've had many countless nights where I can't sleep because it feels like someone's stabbing me in the chest with, with heartburn. And the Lord has, I think, brought that into my life to teach me, do I have that same kind of spiritual heartburn for him, for the lost, for the scriptures? And my prayer, my deep desire and prayer moving to the Gospel of Luke is that it will give you and I spiritual heartburn. Spiritual heartburn for the Gospel. Spiritual heartburn for the lost. Spiritual heartburn to be more like Jesus Christ. To have the Scriptures opened up, to teach them, to obey them. As, as we study Luke's Gospel, we're going to see Jesus, we'll see the Redeemer, we hear his words, we'll see the friend of sinners, we'll hear his heartbeat, we'll, we'll see him who seeks and saves the lost. So I pray that our hearts will just burn with a love for Jesus, burn with a love for the Gospel, and burn for the love of our neighbors and our co-workers, and that, that the love of Jesus will overflow uh, from this community all into the world. We'll say you to that. A few people say amen, huh? All Gospel people say <laughs> amen. <clears throat> Speaking of the gospel and the power to save sinners, uh, we have three individuals here this morning, Wayne and Cindy and Karen. I'm going to invite them to come up, uh, and they're going to share how the Lord rescued them from sin uh, and, and brought them into his family. And we're doing this because they want to join Orangeville Baptist Church. And I just I just want to mention up at the outset here too. A few of you have come to me and said you would like you're interested in being a member of Orangeville Baptist Church. You want to be uh, committed to what the Lord is doing here, and I praise the Lord for that. Uh, so we're going to start having a membership matters class pretty soon. So if, if if you're here and you're not a member of Orangeville Baptist Church, you'd like to know more about that, what that means, what that looks like. I encourage you to talk to me, talk to Josiah. Uh, We we want to be moving forward in in that regards. Uh, Are they using this or are they using that? They're using that. Okay.